A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, boom, boom! Foul! Boom, boom, boom! Yellow card. Nah, it's actually boring, sir. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. You got a lot of chop punches. What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> Hello there and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Owen Murphy and Ken here. Hello, Hello. how are you? Uh, good, after a nightmare week for the Premier League clubs in Europe. Luke Shaw's leg break, probably the lowest of the many low moments. Uh, universally accepted, I think at this stage, that the tackle by PSV's Hector Moreno was not good and not within the laws of the game. At least I thought it was universally accepted <laughs> until I read the transcript of Roy Keane's analysis on ITV last night. I thought it was a brilliant challenge, says Kino. I love the physical side of the game. No shit, Roy. Uh, you can always tell by player reactions and none of the United lads at the time and players are the best judges because they are nearest to tackle. None of them uh, reacted over the top thinking it was a bad challenge. It was more of an accident with his trailing foot. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was a brilliant challenge. I think it was... Uh Quite a bad one, actually. It's possible to be an accident. I mean, I think it was an accident. Was I don't think he was trying to break his leg in two. Yeah. But it, that doesn't mean it wasn't dangerous. Yeah, it was excessive. It was, you know, there was a lot of force there. Um, I mean, you could say it was an accident, but like Hector Moreno does that kind of stuff. You know, Hector Moreno uh, played for Mexico against Holland at the 2014 World Cup and did exactly the same tackle to Aryan Robin. Only because it was Man of Steel, Iron Robin, on the receiving end, it was Hector Moreno's trailing leg that snapped. Oh, no. And it was Hector Moreno who was carried off the field. But, like, this is, you know, it's not like the first time he's, he's done a tackle like that. He, he, does like to, he does like a bit of a lunge, and he's aware of the trailing leg. He is aware that the trailing leg, although it's tucked in, it's, it's still a factor in the challenge. You know, once it's in that tucked-in position, you can still do a lot of damage with that tucked-in trading leg. Uh, on that, on the, in, in the World Cup, uh, he suffered the damage to himself. But on this occasion, it was Luke Shaw. So, uh, pretty bad. I mean, I have to say, the other thing with Luke Shaw is that if he has any sense, he should already have spoken to Roy Hodgson and said, Roy, forget about me for your 2016. Because it's happened at just that uh, kind of slightly awkward moment when he could be back for Euro 2016. He could be back fit. He may even have had been training for a few weeks. He might think, yeah, you know, 
I love my country. I'll never turn my back on England. You know, I've, I've, I can't wait to go to the Euros with this exciting young team. Forget it. Why? If he was stripped Louis down, why would he... Well, Louis van Gaal said it was a six-month injury, which would mean he'd be back the middle of March. He's doing very well if he's back in six months from an injury like that. Very, very well. But if he is back, say, four weeks before the tournament, why wouldn't he go and play? Because he should concentrate on getting fully fit. Like, that's a, that's a really serious injury. Like, it's a really There's untold damage been, been done there. It's not just the question of the bones. It's everything around the bones has just been... I mean, it's... Oh, it's, yeah. No, I'm not disputing it's, it's, that. It's horrific. But if, uh, you know, if, he's, if he's back lose. to playing a few games for Manchester United towards the end of the season, then he is fit again. The, Maybe. The, the point you're making, I suppose, is that let the thing develop yeah. how it's going to develop rather than say, right, Euro 16 is something that I have to be back for. Yeah. But it's, it, it's kind of impossible to do... Well, I think it's impossible for him to pick up the phone and talk to Roy Hodgson right now. But, I mean, if if the time comes in March and it's like, Roy, it's not looking good, I think the best thing for my career is to just forget about your friend. I don't think he can make that call now, though. Yeah. Because, like, in two weeks' time, I mean, the operation's already happened. You know, the damage may be untold. might have been un- untold up until the operation, but once that operation's done, like, he does actually... He does realise what what damage was done. Yeah. And he d- does know what he can do to fix it. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, did it? I don't know how complicated an injury a broken, a horrible, disgusting broken leg like that actually is. Oh, it is. It's really. It's is it more complicated than a cruciate knee injury, though? No, my, Michael Owen well, was the right man at the right place for BT Sport. He he, he had had it diagnosed so a double leg injuries. fracture within about five seconds. It sounded like he could have done the operation himself. <laughs> yeah, he really was. Level of and he said, actually, it's quite straightforward. Yeah, he said it's a bad injury, but it's quite straightforward recovery wise. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, in terms of fixing the bones, it's they're they're simple enough to fix. It's 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 obviously less complex than you know trying to reattach uh, or repair knee ligaments which are busted. Mm. Um, and the you know it's not it's, the knee itself is a complicated kind of joint. There's a lot of things that need to be just right with a knee, and if one thing is just a little bit off gradually the whole thing begins to break down. Whereas, you know, Shane is not like that. But, you know, when you consider the the damage to the surrounding muscle, when you consider the muscle wasting that he's going to have as a result of, you know, being immobilized for a long time, um, he, he it takes a long time to come back from that. I mean, I, and, 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 it, and it, you, you can't really compare also between cases. I mean, you know, David Boost is the most famous example. And, okay, that happened nearly 20 years ago at this stage. Um, and evidently... You know the recovery from injuries is uh, players recover better from equally serious injuries compared to twenty years ago. That's definitely true. So I don't think we're looking at a boost type situation. I mean, he had all kinds of problems with infection, and so on, because he, he he almost like drove the splintered end of you know his broken leg into the into the mud. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He kept, that was the kind of angle. So a lot of it will depend on the angle that happens. But you know, look at someone like Eduardo, uh, the Arsenal player, was never really the same after it. Then you look at Aaron Ramsey. Took a long time to recover, but ended up, you know, he, he, he I mean, I, I think he's just as good a player as he would have been before. I mean, he's a better player now than he was before. He, he naturally would have developed into a better player anyway. But I don't think it's, it, it took him a long time to get back to where he was. But once he did, you know, he was okay. So I hope, I mean, hopefully that's going to be the way it goes with Luke Shaw. But I, I think it's really important not to try and 
to, to give it the time it needs because yeah. you don't know in advance how long it's going to take. Both myself and Simon physically recoiled there as you discussed David Boost's injury. I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of grimacing going on. Listen, I, back I, to that. I think actually it's the one. You know, it's the uh, that's a David. Bo- uh, I watched Luke Shaw's injury. And said, oh my god, that's a David Boost. Yeah, you know, David Boost like uh, appeared a few anonymous. months ago and showed how his leg looks now, and it's not good. I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's all. It's quite wasted away actually. Um, but obviously, obviously, he got on with. Got on with the rest of his life. Uh, let's get into the report on sport. So, yeah, that was uh, that was Luke Shaw and, and Roy Keane. <clears throat> Not a great night for Manchester United overall. Uh, they differing opinions, I guess, on how they did. I didn't think it was a hugely impressive uh, performance. They ran out of steam a little bit. I mean, there was talk that maybe the the whole thing that had happened to Shaw had affected them a little bit. Um, Were you surprised that Lou Shaw was tweeting half an hour after the injury, by the way? What else are you going to do? It's so boring in hospital. There's literally nothing else you can do. You're just lying there But it was back. so quick. Could he even have got to hospital that stage? Was he in the ambulance tweeting away there? I assume he could. Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, I've, I've never been to the ground in Idaho, and I don't know, I don't know how central it is. Is that the equivalent of the Gaza thumbs up to the crowd from 91? The modern equivalent is just getting that tweet out there. Uh, about yeah. 20 minutes later. I have this image in my head of Kevin Moran with like a blanket like theatrically thrown over his entire body you know like he was being carried from the sobs you know and uh, out from underneath the blanket his head is covered by the blanket with just like this clenched fist you know to the Stretford end I, I don't know I, I, I've, I've tried to find this on YouTube before to no avail so if any of our listeners know what I'm talking about I would actually <laughs> dearly like to see that but I do have that, even his head completely covered by a blanket. Just You're not just thinking of Evil Knievel? Uh, no, 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 no. I don't think that so. That could be a refrain for this entire podcast, Murph. If any of our listeners know what we're talking about, please get in touch. Yeah. And let us know what it is. Um, so, yeah. A couple no. of other things uh, from my life. Well, no, probably probably best to hold on, hold on to a few of those. Um, overall, overall, not good. Uh, they, you know, so many different problems. And now... Uh, and the the loss of Shaw is a big loss because uh, he had been having a good season and was quite an important player in their tactical setup. Uh, in terms of he was the uh, he was the only player who might spring a surprise run. In fact, that's the kind of that's exactly what he was doing at the moment that he got injured. Um, these sort of uh, runs into space, which has been opened up by the movement of players ahead of him. You know, he's a player who has the kind of explosive ability to to get in there. Um, and now they're going to have to find someone else to do that, because without that, they're they're quite a static kind of a, a team passing the ball around in front of uh, the opposition. So even more static. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a bad one for them to have had. Now uh, Arsenal uh, hit with another uh, blow in the loss of Olivier Giroud for a game. Think they'll be all right. Actually, you think Arsenal will be able to struggle on after this one? What I was surprised by was that after Giroud got sent off in the first half for. A really idiotic um, second yellow card. I mean, the first yellow card was stupid as well. He was complaining to the referee. Even Arsene Wenger was prepared to admit that was a stupid one. But then when you sort of just, you know, a Street Fighter-style kick of, a, of an opponent, when you're back in your own half, you know, he was back because there was a free kick against them and, you know, he was doing his defensive bit, you know. He's not the kind of guy to let his, you know, to let his teammates do all the work. So he went back, kicked someone, and got sent off in the first half. And you're thinking, like, how can you... How can you do this to yourself, to your team? Um, but Arsene Wenger, uh, defending him to the hilt, um, he says, uh, "The first uh, we're unlucky. The first goal's offside, and the sending off is very harsh. 
yes, he was rash. The first yellow was his fault because he protested. Even if it was a foul against him, he shouldn't have responded to the referee. The second, he's unlucky to touch the guy. I don't understand the referee. It was accidental completely. It was not a second yellow. It has to be on purpose. A foul on purpose. He should have given many yellows tonight. It doesn't have to be a foul on purpose. It just has to be a foul. Yeah. You know? And I mean, the referee sees Giroud lash out and kick someone. He's going to book him for that. You know what I mean? You're going to get booked. So... Um, yeah, Frenger must be Frenger does well to disguise his frustrations, the frustrations that he must have with some of his players mm. over the last seven or eight, nine years. Yeah, Giroud's typical of them, you know, of these kind of Arsenal players who just aren't good enough, really. No, and Giroud's just not quite good enough. And, and the way you dress it up, the, the question of whether Giroud's good enough is a, is a, a hot button issue among Arsenal supporters, many of whom uh, I, I certainly see on social media defending him. Saying, oh, Giroud, you know, he's great. And look at his goal-scoring record. Which, you look, if you look at it in the Premier League, it's not bad. He scores quite a few goals in the Premier League. But, you know, he doesn't really... He scored a header at the weekend. But previous to that, he'd missed a chance. He, he misses the kind of chances the top strikers don't miss. Mm. Okay, fair enough. He gets these he gets these nice flicked headers at the near post. But the, the sort of chances where he's got a bit of time to think about it seem to be the ones that he struggles with, which is not a great time for a top striker, I don't think. No, Um and he also missed, he, I mean, I'm struggling to think of a goal that he scored, a, a really important goal in a big game for us. I mean, he, he did score against Liverpool last season away. You know, everybody did that last season, you know what I mean? Uh, he, he scored a nice goal against Manchester United in the last minute of a match they were losing 2-0. Um, doesn't really affect bigger games. Isn't is not good enough for us, in my opinion. Um, it not looks if, as not if they're trying to win the league, which you no. would assume they are. Um, but, you know, maybe the, the problem is that they don't really have another centre-forward type, you know, it, in terms of a player who they can kick the ball at and who might be able to hold off a defender. Uh is the only one, really, but he's just not really good enough. Anyway, forget about him for the time being. Maybe he will get picked again for this game. Uh, I mean, he's going to be fresh, anyway, for this uh, game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge this weekend. Um Chelsea dropped a few players, and Jose Mourinho said it had nothing to do with the uh, game against the fact of playing Arsenal on the weekend. So it will be interesting to see how many of them come back in. Terry Ivanovic, Diego Costa, who ended up coming into the game and playing well, I'm sure he will be starting. Uh, and Nemanja Matic, I think they'll all be playing. Well, maybe not Ivanovic. I was going to say, he looks like the guy who needs a break. Mm. <laughs> and maybe that's it. Maybe he just needs a break for three weeks. Yeah. Uh, refocus. I don't know what's do. happened. Really. No, that's absolutely bizarre. Because he he has been so good for such a long time. And also was their key creative player as well for a lot of last season. Yeah. I mean, he was like the, he was doing the Frank Lampard role of scoring and creating goals for Chelsea. Yeah. He was the cutting edge of the team. So now they've lost, they've lost both a bit of defensive facility and also uh, the, the creative power. And also we're used to footballers if it's Eden Hazard or if it's Oscar, these kind of guys, they'd be more stereotypically expected to fluctuate in their form. You see a guy like Ivanovic, and he's just been so solid for so many years for them mentally and physically that, and tactically in, in every way, that it just, it, it's amazing that there's been such a drop-off, yeah. that he's suddenly become a calamity defender, like a mm. real joke defender. In, yeah, it's, in the, it's what happens when the thing that you always just automatically presume is going to be there is no longer there. They're, like that's when real panic sets mm-hmm. in. It's the you know as you say, if if a flair player has a couple of bad games, it's like well you know he'll play his way out of it. It's the guy who you never even think about. Well you know Ivanovic, he's obviously very good, but 
Yeah. You know, like you're you're a seven and a half out of ten guy. Eight out of ten. He was brilliant for a few years. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I don't know, maybe he'll come back in against Arsenal. But Mourinho, obviously, pretty, pretty pleased to have finally got like a impressive win this season. I mean, they had beaten West Brom, but it was a bit of a you know, skin of their teeth type of job. Uh, Diego Costa managed to score a goal, which is nice. Fabregas set one up, which is you know also good. Um, I he forgot the feeling. Hair as well, by the way, you know something that our listeners Mourinho were, were oh, yeah. keen to tell us mm. that uh, the previously dishevelled. Uh, Mourinho had cut his hair and uh, Chelsea were back on track. Coincidence, Ken? Or something more? Well, he's always, he's, he's always trying different things, isn't <laughs> he? You know? I mean, maybe, maybe the slovenliness of his appearance had subconsciously got the players to relax that 2%, you know, which makes all the difference at this level. And now there, there could be no mistaking his intent uh, when he arrived in with that haircut. But he says, uh, uh, I forgot the feeling that this is the feeling of winning. I forgot, he forgot it. For so long, we don't win a game. So a good, a good feeling. I'm a fantastic manager when I win matches, and I am a fantastic manager when I lose matches. <laughs> I thought that quote was going to be about, oh, you know, the vicissitudes of media coverage. Yeah. Like, when he wins, he's brilliant, and when he loses, then, you know, he's the devil. Oh, it's well, I don't listen to either of those two things. You know, if you can treat uh, whatever they are. The Triumph and disaster. Yeah, two imposters. Both the same. Um, he's, he's quoting more poetry kind of here uh, the same way I was not in hell with bad results I'm not in heaven we won a game so maybe in a little allusion to Milton there what do you think yeah, perhaps um, let me think uh, I prefer the Stanford Bridge crowd still sung Mourinho's name serves the BBC I prefer uh, that than they say Mourinho out and Boomy and so on it shows they don't read papers <laughs> so Mourinho <laughs> of the Chelsea fans uh, <laughs> Hang on, Mourinho uh, brands Chelsea supporters literate? Maybe right? just they, they, you know, they get their that news from read, online. That they read them, but that they don't. Yeah, they don't take, pay it, take it to heart. They know? don't have short memories. If they read, if they don't read papers, they support me. If they don't have short memories, they support me. We won four Premier Leagues, three with him, and one with his team. This guy is not bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's support this guy. We have a chance to win the fifth, the fifth league title. He's taking credit for Carlo Ancelotti's. That's League. weird. <laughs> One with his team. That was a, that was the season, by the way, when Chelsea set a scoring record in the Premier League. They scored more goals, say, than Liverpool and Man City managed to score that season when they went nuts. And uh, I think they did, didn't they? Yeah, this good. It was more than 100 goals they made by Ancelotti's team. Uh, they were winning games like 7-8-0 and eight nil quite regularly. And Mourinho takes credit for that. Oh, you know, whatever. But look, he's... Um, He's excited uh, to play Arsenal. I always have a lot of thinking to do before a game against Arsenal. So it uh, should be a good one. It's the early, the early one on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask, did you at any point uh, study the play King Lear? No, I don't think so. No, you didn't, you didn't have to no, do I studied it quite a, no, Well, I did study English in college as well, but I think I'm at, I think I somehow managed to avoid King Lear. I'm not saying I wanted to avoid it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I did actually go to see it uh, not a million years ago. Oh, yeah? No, did wait, that was Macbeth. <laughs> uh, totally different play. Shakespeare be turning his grave home. <laughs> uh, you didn't... Macbeth's good. Yeah, Macbeth's not yeah. Macbeth's <laughs> bad, all right. You don't, you, don't know, you no. don't know King Lear, though. You don't have any opinion on it. Uh, nothing strong enough that wouldn't sound like bullshit. Does he rave on the heat or rage on... He raves on the heat. He just runs around the heat talking nonsense. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're familiar with the basic plot, you know. Yeah, he's got three daughters. Yeah. He's a king. 
Yeah. Yeah, we got that. There's a lot of tragedy. So he wants to divide the he wants to divide the the the, the crown. Yeah. Between between he's, the three daughters. Yeah. He wants he wants favorite. to give up his 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 crown for some reason. Yeah. He's got one favorite. Yeah. But he kind of screws her over, is that it? Well, he he wants to divide it in terms of who loves him the most. Oh yeah. He so he he lines them all up and says, "Well, you know, you have a go." Lot A, do you, uh, you know, how much do you love me? And she says, I love you a lot. Like, really, this much. You're like, totally, you're extending her legend, arms. Yeah. You're amazing. As father. Kings go, you're double the league. And then number two comes up. Yeah. And she also gives it the old. Uh, Pours it on pretty thick for old Kingy. Even thicker. Yeah. And he's loving this. And oh, then. Yeah. And then the third one, yeah, she says. The favorite. Yeah. Well, now, careful of any spoilers. It's all, it's all right. Spoiler this, this, this four hundred year old play. <laughs> this happens at the start of it anyway. <laughs> and so, uh, what does she do? She just says, "Oh, something really corny, like look into your heart, or you know how much I love you, or something like that." And then he gets really angry and screws her out. Uh, she says, um, "I love you a lot, uh, but also, you know, you you do have to bear in mind if I ever do get married, then." Uh, I'll probably mainly love my husband. Although, you know, I'll still love you. You're yeah. my dad. You know, I'll always, I'll always have a certain regard for you. That'll grow off you. And uh, King King Lear completely um, loses his... Completely goes mad. He's, he's like, what? You know, how can you possibly speak to me so disrespectfully? And, like, curses her and banishes her and disinherits her and all this kind of stuff. Which seems a bit like... OTT. Well, the whole situation is just nonsense. Yeah, what's he at, like... You know, he's kind of manufactured it for himself in order to set himself into a rage. There's a whole, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's an interesting essay about this by um, Leo Tolstoy, where he, he hated Shakespeare. Um, he thought he was, he was a hack. Uh, he thought it was all these situations. He's like, this is complete nonsense. You know, how is, what, A, why is King Lear doing this? B, why does he believe his two evil daughters when they tell him obvious lies to his face, given that he knows them their whole life, he knows exactly what they're like? Three, why does the youngest daughter say this provocative thing as though on purpose to piss him off? And D, why does he then go so mad when she basically just said something kind of, okay, maybe a little bit. It's just stupid. Mm. This doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, I was hoping that you... Uh, I was, <laughs> so well, I'll, I'll tell you, right. We, 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 I, you know, I, I saw that... Uh, I saw Ran, which is based on King Lear. Oh yeah. So I mean, I have I, I have a vague. It's absolutely brilliant. Is so it? I've I've. It's, so why don't you just go ahead with the King Lear reference? And if I can remember enough from this obscure Japanese movie that I watched ten years ago, then I'll definitely go. And sure, listen, we'll we'll be able to fake it. Yeah, let's but go the, for it. But the problem here is is um, uh, the reason that we mention this, Owen, is because um, of Rafael Benitez. Um, Pearl Rafael Benitez, the man who couldn't love Stephen Gerrard enough, but could any manager really? <laughs> uh, could anyone ever? Uh, but he's got another situation on his hands at Real Madrid, which is, does he love Cristiano Ronaldo enough? Does Rafael Benitez love Cristiano Ronaldo enough? And nobody's really quite sure. Because they're asking him, you know, is he the best player in the world? And when they asked him in the summer, he was like, oh... Tough to say. Some good guys out there. And Lionel Messi's very good. <laughs> um, uh, Benitez keeps being asked about this now, and he says, to say that he is one of the best in the world, I believe is sufficient. One of the best in the world, says Rafa, really pushing the boat out. We're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, by the way, right? 
He's not the sort of guy who's going to take this stuff to heart. <laughs> it is like asking my daughter if she prefers my wife or me, the father or the mother. It's not easy. It's really not like that, though. <laughs> it's not like it's that. It's not like that. Unless he's thinking, bring Gareth Bale into the equation here, which would be nonsensical. Nah, no one cares about Bale, in fairness. I mean, no one's... Even Bale doesn't So who's he worried about insulting? Why doesn't he just say, yeah, of course Ronaldo's the best? And then he might be insulting Leo Messi. Like, That's the thing. It's That's like, the weird thing about it. It's like asking my daughter and somebody else's daughter who my daughter doesn't like who's the best father in the world. That's what this is like. It's a very easy, easy choice for your daughter in that situation yeah. to say, my daddy is the, is the best, best daddy, daddy in, in the world. world. There are other daddies out there. But, but my, my daddy, daddy is, is the best. Absolute best. I mean, it's just so obvious what you should say. Uh, I mean, Ferguson certainly never hesitated to say, oh, best of the world. There's no question about that. I mean, he was still saying it, you know, in 2011, like when it was, he was the only man saying it, but he was still saying it. He he wasn't even managing Ronaldo anymore, Um, but he was still, he was still, maybe he honestly believed it. Mm. Maybe he did, but whether or not he believed it, he always made sure to say it. He evidently thought that Ronaldo was the kind of player who needed to hear that kind of stuff. Benitez... Either Benitez thinks he's not that type of player. Maybe Benitez thinks I'll, I'll give him a bit of the old Stevie G cold shoulder. Uh, as far as I recall, Steven Gerrard actually played pretty well in a lot of those seasons. Much better than he did in any of the other seasons. So maybe it actually worked out well for him. Maybe if I do that with Ronaldo. Now, what's Ronaldo got this season? 19 goals in 10 games so far. Eight in his last two. <laughs> right? Uh, Eight and two is a good record. Since uh, since Garrett Bale got sent uh, went went off injured, he he banged in a hat trick to celebrate <laughs> the <laughs> departure of Bale from the scene. But it's just it is strange with Benitez that he it, it's a bit like that situation with King Lear's daughter. Why not just okay? You can see what the situation is here. The old man is obviously he's he's always had a bit of an ego on him. To be fair, everyone's gathered around here and. This 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 situation now is all about us just saying how much we love him, and uh, frankly, if I want to get my third of the kingdom, I've got to do it. But no, but no, my my weird personal integrity comes first. <laughs> I can't bring myself to say any to say anything uh, to say anything remotely insincere, even if it's the appropriate thing to do in the situation, because that's just not the kind of person I am. Okay, gotcha. So Rafa Benitez makes Tolstoy look like a dickhead. It's basically what's happened. No, no, no. No, he has, because he... Tolstoy, 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 Tolstoy would say, Rafa, what are you doing? Look, we all yeah, know but, Messi's the best player in the world. But, Everyone knows it. Even Ronaldo knows it. That's why it's so important to say to him that he's the best. No, but what Tolstoy is saying is that it's an unnatural thing to write. Why would the daughter do it? It's stupid. It's bad writing by Shakespeare. And what mm. Rafa Benitez is showing is it's, that it's a In fact, there are people like that. Yeah, so there you go. You just got to take into account there's people out there like Rafa, like Cordelia, who really are serious about this personal sincerity who really don't want to... Well, actually, I don't know. I think Rafa sometimes... <laughs> I, think, I think Rafa's sometimes been known to say self-interested things, but not on this occasion. Well, I heard a quote on Mark Maron's podca- podcast the other day, Ken, um, about William Faulkner, oh, yeah. the great writer, who apparently wasn't, um, wasn't the greatest of fathers, wasn't uh, <laughs> the most outwardly loving towards his children, and once told... I'm just checking this up now. Apparently this quote does exist. Once told his daughter, nobody remembers Shakespeare's children. <laughs> that, that's a nasty thing to say. There's a lot that's in that. Harsh. There's a lot in that. All right. That's pretty yeah. harsh, yeah. Um, well, it's quite, it's, it's, that's, bad, that's bad in a few ways, isn't it? You know, even to, uh, 
even just sort of put yourself implicitly on that level is kind of, I don't know. Tolstoy himself, I own, of course, this point was made in a later essay by George Orwell. He said, is William Shakespeare really as bad as Leo Tolstoy mm-hmm. suggests he is? Is that, <laughs> Where is to take really, the contrarian view there, Orwell? Uh, he finds it, uh, he, uh, Tolstoy finds here to every step to be stupid, verbose, unnatural, unintelligible, bombastic, vulgar, tedious, full of incredible events, wild ravings, mirthless jokes, anachronisms, irrelevancies, obscenities, worn out stage convention, conventions and other faults. Uh, <laughs> I mean, harsh enough. At the same time, you look at it, it is, a lot of it is pretty ridiculous. He said, might this have something to do with the fact that Leo Tolstoy, at an advanced age, gave it all up, lock, stock and barrel, and ran off with a favourite daughter uh, <laughs> to die in obscurity, uh, angry that nobody would continue to obey him in the way that they had when he was, you know, a count and the possessor of land and, and power. You know, once he'd, give, once he'd given up all his land and power, it turned out that, People Nobody was like bowing me. and scraping around him anymore the way they used to. And that really started to annoy him. He thought they were doing it because they liked him, but it turned out, well... So uh, he thought maybe, maybe that might have something to do with the fact that he didn't like this particular play. Well, that took a few turns. That's the end of Kennedy's Report on Sport. All right, that's, that's good manners. players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no, 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 no. I've seen none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> <laughs> we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know some sort of animal you know what I mean and you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like what a Teresa you know he's um, I don't know and we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. Emmett Malone has popped downstairs. Emmett, how are things? Yeah, not bad, and you? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. 30 unimpressed by the English performances, the Premier League performances in the, uh, in the Champions League over the weekend. I know this is almost an annual thing over the last few years, but at what point is the ridiculous amount of money that that uh, piles into the Premier League going to be reflected again in Champions League results. It's not as though we're talking about defeats to great teams here. Uh, PSV, Zagreb, um, Juventus, okay, yeah, Juventus right, yeah. so Maccabi are the only team that, that were of sufficiently low quality for yeah. an English team to, to win. Have you a theory? Uh, no, I'm kind of mystified by the last couple of days. I would have had both Manchester teams winning their games, and and for quite a chunk of those of the night, it did look like both of them were going to come through. Uh, Chelsea, obviously, I mean, you know, not even in the slump that they're in now, not even with you know changing the team more radically than I think um, Mourinho has ever done in his time at Stamford Bridge due to circumstances. Yeah. Um, could they have lost that game? Particularly, I mean, beforehand it looked like a bit of a gimme, but God, Maccabi were very poor. Mm. Um, and uh, and then Arsenal, yeah, well, Arsenal you never know with you know Arsenal maybe could have lost to Maccabi on their night because they just always seem to have it in them somehow but um, they were very poor last night but not helped either by uh, making six team, team, team changes and these sort of things making that many changes is the sort of thing that looks either kind of really clever or really ill-advised with the benefit of hindsight and so uh, Mourinho comes out of it looking pretty good and, and Wenger once again looks out of it you know mm. really smelling of something else What about the theory that the Premier League is simply so demanding the league is of such a high quality that the Champions League is now an afterthought for these teams. They have to, uh, they, they can't give it their full, <laughs> the full focus. 
Yeah, that's that's a theory. Uh, <laughs> I think we have your answer. I have um, your answer yeah, I can't see that. I mean, like for Chelsea, I think this year, you know, notwithstanding the fact that they've they've they're probably out of the the league already, um, I think the Champions League was probably the bigger target uh, going into the season. And um, you know, I mean, they, notwithstanding the fact they've won four 0 I see it being described as a rout. I didn't think actually they were all that impressive at all, but um, but I see it being described as a rout everywhere. Um, uh, yeah, they, they 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 didn't look like you know Arsenal last night looked like a team that everyone would be hoping to get in the in in the last sixteen, uh, assuming they get that far. Chelsea in the la, in the last eight or, or semi-finals, maybe you know if they get that far. I mean, neither of them looked impressive. Um, I, I look, I, I think for most of these teams, I think Manchester City as well. You know, obviously need to make a really big impact on um, uh, on the Champions League this year from their manager's point of view, from the owner's point of view. I, I, I you know, it's impossible to believe that they see that as an afterthought. Um, Manchester United probably have a bit of, you know, getting their house in order back or getting things back on the rails in the Premier League. And I could see that perhaps for them, that's, you know, although these things have a strange way of happening, you know, they don't always go to plan. They'll take what they can get. Obviously, Champions League would be huge to be successful in. But for United, maybe, I think they're the one of those four clubs uh, that, that you could really say the, prem- the Premier League is the... Is the, the Party, sorry. Yeah, let's just talk a little bit about Arsenal because yeah. John Giles described them as a disgrace for their performance <laughs> last night. Would you go that far? Um, well, I think individual thing. I mean, I, I think Giroud was a disgrace. Mm. I, I just think there's cretinous for him to get sent off. I mean, for um, for the you know to to pick up a book, it's like Glenn Whelan in the Ireland game last week. You know, at what point do do professionals start to realise that mouthing off the referee, no matter how unjustified the decision, is just not a good thing to do? And Giroud. Put, puts himself on a booking, you know, very early in the game, utterly needlessly, after which, you know, he's walking a tightrope. And, and the, the, the challenge we get sent off for, you know, it's... It's uh, completely stupid. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. He just throws out a leg and let's see what happens, you know. And I might get the ball or I might take the player or, you know, whatever. And uh, he takes the player. And, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy... I, I think it's... It's an easy enough decision for the referee I mean, to make. I Arsene don't think Wenger it's... really defended him after. You know, he said it's it's, it's ridiculous sending off. It's really harsh. He said uh, <sighs> Giroud didn't see the guy. Uh, there has to be intent. He, yeah. he didn't mean it. He didn't Which, mean anything. Why, why is he making excuses for uh, this guy? I, I presume he's doing it because you know he he feels the need to do that in public. Uh, mm. I, I mean, if 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 Wenger was strip him in private, uh, I, I, if Wenger was anywhere near as understanding as that privately in the dressing room, then it reflects very very poorly on the manager. We've talked about Giroud before and how his one real skill is getting into the near post, getting those little finishes yeah. in the near post. But if he's got any other type of chance, he seems to struggle with it. I don't know. There's something about Giroud. He seems to... He never looks like a player who has a massive crisis of confidence. He carries himself very confidently. Sure. I, I think maybe gets away with a little bit more in terms of how people perceive him because, because of that. that yeah. You know, you look at, uh, say, Hernandez at sure. the start of the season for Man United uh, before he got shipped out. Okay, he missed the penalty, but he just looked a, a bundle of nerves. I don't think Giroud ever quite looks like that, even yeah. though his output is not what it should be, given that physically he should be a better player well uh, yeah absolutely I would agree with most of that what I would say is last night that the challenge for you know the the second yellow for the sending off kind of stank of something going wrong with a player and perhaps just a kind of lack of confidence or a, maybe you wanted uh, out of there you mean well I, I, know, I don't mean I don't mean consciously but yeah, I don't want to get too Freudian about this yeah but somewhere like, there know, it's uh, like do I want to be out here well it was certainly kind of let's get Freudian him. Lee, I think Liam Brady maybe made that point did he yeah you know, I think he I think he hinted at something Along those lines, I can't remember the other example. I'm sure it can get into players' heads. It's not like, okay, let's, I'm going to get sent off here. But 
it's I'm gonna uh, there's a chance to hit a lazy Escape. tackle here. I might as well yeah, go for it. I, I think the sense was that nothing is going for him. You know, he's had, he's, he's had a couple of chances. He hasn't scored. He's not really succeeding in holding the ball up at all, providing Arsenal with an outlet. It's it's a nothing situation. You know, um, Zagreb make a, an absolute mess of a, of a free kick situation and the ball kind of bobbles around in front of him. And rather than either go in and, and make a decent challenge or do nothing at all, he throws a leg out. And and yeah, you would certainly say that it, it's not it's not something uh, you would expect of a player whose me- mentality is is right. Mm. I mean, this week is uh, this weekend is going to be interesting because it obviously brings Chelsea and Arsenal together. I mean, Chelsea have, I mean, they've they've suddenly got they're, they're suddenly going into the game in, in better shape than Arsenal yeah. after this. But you know, this season has so far been a complete uh, train wreck. Sure. And I wonder what you trace it back to, Emmett, because, I mean, there was Jose Mourinho um, cruising along in rather imperious fashion, uh, winning the title. Looks like his team is very strong. Starts the season. Things have just been going wrong from the very beginning. Yeah, I, I, it is true. Uh, but I don't think I think there, I think there is some point at which you have to say that there is simply no allowing for the fact that this team that was so impressive last week, last year, out of that, Ivanovic has been a disaster. I mean, you know, if he was older, if you if he was a good bit older, you'd be like you would he's, think gone. he's, he's yeah. just gone. Gary yeah, yeah. But, but clearly, that's, exactly, exactly. But that's but that's not the situation with him because he, he's not that old. Matic, who was so impressive last year. Looks disastrous. I think Matic and Fabregas are the two most dribbled past players in the league. Is that right? I think they're yeah. competing with each other for the title of really. Yeah. Well, that's really embarrassing for Matic, though. I mean, it, Fab- it is because Fabregas', Fabregas is problem is yeah. is in other areas, you know. Because really, Fabregas, you wouldn't expect to be contributing as much on that side, and you know, there's an argument that he shouldn't really be playing there at all, you know. But uh, but certainly for Matic, that's a disaster because that's his raison d'être, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, but 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 you go like last night even with. Um, uh, I've forgotten his name now. Zuma uh, with Zuma in the team, you know, and who's supposed to bring a bit of pace, and you know, has gone into a defence that looks really poor. Well, they concede a they concede a free early in the first half, and they four or five um, uh, Maccabee players flood through the defence to meet the free kick coming in from the right hand side. You know, again, they just they just look absolutely all over the place. Defensive organisation seems to have gone. You know, mm. um, okay, they've let Czech go, and Begovic is no Czech or or Courtois. That's slightly beyond their 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 you know their mm. doing. Um, Costa doesn't look like a shadow of last year. Fabregas looks much like the player he did in the second half of last season, which isn't a huge help to anyone. Mm. But in the first half, I see people now saying, oh, well, you know, Barcelona just knew he was gone, he was finished, and and they, and they let him go. He wasn't up to it. Well, the first half of last season, he was sensational yeah, for was Chelsea, brilliant. you know. So, um, so there were a lot of problems there. Now, there, I think you either conclude that this is something that is just a blip that somehow it will, you know, they will click together. Something like last night may help that process. Probably not, you know, like if you've made that many changes and you're going to make them back again on Saturday, which I suspect you will do in most departments, then it's interesting to see how much that can play a part in getting them back. But the other alternative is the bigger kind of, you know, they've stopped playing for Mourinho. And I find that very difficult to believe that that's happened over the summer. The confidence is clearly low, but would you even be concerned, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but Hazard misses his penalty and then a second penalty comes up and he hands it over to Oscar who slots at home. 
You just want, Hazard is a guy who Mourinho constantly talks about possibly being one of the best in the world. You know, he's compared him to Ronaldo and these sort of guys. Ronaldo, Messi, they're not going to give a second penalty up to an opponent. Is there just is something like that even lacking? Well, I don't know. Does Mourinho have a rule about that kind of thing? I can't remember an instant. It doesn't where, happen a lot where they've got it's, two penalties, missed the first one, and, and particularly match. one just a few minutes after the last yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, maybe I mean, it's I mean, maybe it's Hazard's, Hazard's record in Madrid is amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely staggering. Yeah, so yeah, so so he should be okay. I missed that. Bang! Next one, goal. You you would have thought. But Hazard, and we had and got as far as listing him in the very long list of Chelsea <laughs> players here. I mean, he just looked like a calamity last night. He mm. was going around, his shoulders down, his body language it was awful. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's missing the penalty, the skying the penalty. It was a really awful penalty in a, in a strange sort of way. Strange strike, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But just for the rest of the game, he, he, you know, he had a couple of moments where he went past players. In almost every instance, his final ball was really poor or misjudged. Um, but he looked like a guy who, who, you know, somebody had touched up to his big toe and sucked every ounce of confidence out. <laughs> he, uh, I, I wonder what you think of Jose Mourinho's response to this unfamiliar situation of his, you know, he, you know, for a guy who really likes to lord it over everyone else and kind of do it for a bit of gloating and uh, triumphalism, he's lost a lot of games and it's a difficult situation for him to handle. Yeah. And his response to it has been, I mean, interesting to watch. Uh, he, he, uh, one thing he likes to do is talk about how many trophies he's won. Yeah. He's like, I won the Spanish League, I won the yeah. FA Cup, I won he, this, I won that. He tends to win trophies even when he's not at the club, I see. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Certainly, uh, Ranieri's not getting any credit for, for buying the players at which he won the first league at Chelsea. He definitely, I mean, the, he won the Champions League with Chelsea in 2012, even though he was managing Real yeah. Madrid, you know. But, like, I don't know anyone else who does that. Uh, no. Do, do you think, it, do you I think, think it's effective? That, I think that bit's quite undignified. Um, yeah. I think uh, the thing about Mourinho is he's as bad a loser as he is a, a bad winner. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think some of that has been quite undignified. I think his, 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 his constant, and it is a, a constant theme with him, uh, claiming credit for, for what has been achieved, um, uh, you know, at the club when he hasn't been there is, is, is unfair and it's, it, it really it, it is undignified. From a man who has achieved a, a very great deal in his, mm. in, in his times at the, at the club, um, I think that, you know, like everything else with, with Mourinho, you get the sense it's all part of a game, like a giant distraction. And um, and and it seems to work to some extent. Do you think it does? Because this is a, this is kind of the interesting thing about it. I think um, Mourinho obviously has had this amazing career. I mean, yeah. he's a ridiculously successful yeah. man by any by any measure, uh, and he's been, I suppose, quite boastful throughout a lot of sure. that. Um, it, has Mourinho caught on to something that like people, other managers need to wake up to? Basically, you might think. So, someone who's had, who'd had all this success, like Jose Mourinho, who's won a couple of European Cups and so on, doesn't actually need to go out there and remind people of it every day and rub people's nose in, and I won this and I won that. But maybe uh, maybe that is a feature of a really successful person, to go out there and every single day well, I think rem- point to yourself and say, I'm the best, I'm still the best, I've won all this, I've won all this, and you, you don't ever forget it. Like you need, If you don't give yourself the credit, maybe other people don't give you enough. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that if, um, if, if Mourinho's confidence bubble ever actually burst, mm. then, you know, there would be serious consequences. You know, players can maybe pick themselves up or whatever, or Mourinho can recharge them, you know, yeah. uh, like you recharge a battery. And, and, and I think that's a, a purpose that he, that he 
very much serves at the club. Uh, that's why players talk about um, you know loving him so much. And there's countless countless uh, examples of players going well, well beyond what they needed to do in terms of you know uh, paying tribute to their manager in interviews and stuff yeah. like that. You know, um, so almost, like, almost like they're scared of him. Yeah, but is that well, has that been happening well, lately? I don't know. Are we not talking about his first? Well, flush it was certainly happening towards the end of last season. So there yeah, is this kind of theory yeah, that he, yeah. that he runs out of steam, that he that he you know he pushes them so far that he charges them so much, and then by year three, as happened, I think at certainly at Real Madrid, that mm. things are you know just beginning to tire of him, and they're everyone's getting a bit kind fed of sick of his bullshit. Yeah, 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 and, and and maybe that's true, but it seems incredible that coming off the high that Chelsea came off at the end of last season, that um, that 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 would have set in so much. Now, that notwithstanding the fact that Chelsea were you know pretty indifferent towards the end of last season. I mean, the season for them was like one game where they were 4-0 up at half-time and, and Mourinho did what he what he likes to do, which was, you know, dig in and defend yeah. the lead. Uh, and so you can imagine that some of these players perhaps thought that really they could have pushed on and won the league in considerably more style than they did. And maybe that's maybe that's what's happening here. Maybe that's all on phoning. But still the manner in which the players um, are carrying themselves suggests it, 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 it's more than simply not playing for the manager. But... But I, I go back to, I, I think I've mentioned to you before, I remember there's a documentary about Stamford Bridge or a year in, in, in Mourinho's uh, uh, rule at Stamford Bridge where he, he had the players before, kind of nothing, I think it was Wigan, and... Um, and he had a whiteboard out and, he, you know, the two two formations on the whiteboard. And he's going, um, you know, he's, I think John Terry sitting at the front and but all the players are gathered there. And he's going, look, you know, hey, if, if they do this, we do this. If they do this, we do this. And if they do this, we do this. He's going, uh, look, lads, you know, I, yeah. I'm not saying we have to win this game. That's too much. But we can't lose. Yeah. And, and, and you can absolutely see how the lads are sitting there going, you know what? He's right, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and that way that he just kind of, you know, makes the players believe in himself. You could absolutely understand what they're talking about. But right now he needs to rediscover it. And, and, and the last thing you need in that situation is him beginning to doubt his own powers. Yeah, I mean, it is something that he's always had, you know, the ability to, to put his players in the right frame. You, you rarely see his teams underperforming, which is why yeah. this season has been sure. so uh, has been so uh, surprising. But you mentioned John Terry there. Uh, what do you think of him? I mean, uh, well, he's, been, he's been really, really. Yeah, again, he's another player who. Now, in his case, it may actually be that he's gone. You know, because he was really good in the last. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he's he's probably the best player I think for Chelsea in the last few months of the season. Sure. I mean, maybe the the yeah. overall performances hadn't been as good, but Terry was doing very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that he's he's having I, a problem? I think he was. I think he was suited. Quite suited to the way they were playing the tail end of last season. They were yeah. kind of digging. Team in. was suited suited to him, like uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So the so the kind of you know the way they were defending games, uh, uh, you know, matched up to his lingering capabilities. Uh, he reads the game exceptionally well, but I don't think necessarily there was a huge decline in John Terry um, uh, required. And I'm not completely writing him off here, but I think it is one possibility that there isn't a huge decline. Uh, required there before both his limitations and Kale's limitations are suddenly exposed. Now, what you had was a situation where where Kale's kind of burst of speed and his you know his last ditch tackles, or whatever, frequently got uh, Terry out of trouble when he was in it. You know, mm. but but if those situations are arising, you know, in, in five times a game, exactly, mm. and further out and with more distance, you know, for people to run into, then then I think you can very quickly be in pro- in trouble here. And uh, and at his age, uh, you know, I, I think that that it is simply. A possibility that, that he's reached his tipping point. All right, give us a quick prediction for Chelsea Arsenal then on Saturday lunchtime. 
I think Chelsea have more ground to make up. I think over the over the course of the remainder of the season, they're going to have really big problems because rather than coasting in the the tail end of last season, defending games, now there's going to be points where they need to go for points, you know, go for goals that really they wouldn't have gone for uh, before. But they come into this game in better shape, I think, fractionally better shape, despite the gap in the league than uh, Arsenal, and the win will have done them good. I can't see Arsenal winning it and my, my hunch would be that Chelsea will, Chelsea will win. Alright, Emmett, brilliant stuff, thank you. Cheers. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Bakery, ooh, we got involved in a logistics company in Waterford, apparently involved in a furniture shop in that loan. We leased the pub in, in Tralee. John Delaney could run anything. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, when he comes up, then give me a shout. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, this Josie Mourinho, um, use of the first person well this I won everything I'm the champion it's actually it's the exact opposite of how say boxers or individual sports people do their best oftentimes to say we to actually even when it is them they're the ones getting punched in the face they'll often try to be humble about it and try to bring in everybody else Mourinho's in a team sport in fact he's not even out there playing mm. it's it's kind of nuts when you scored think no goals zero goals there <laughs> seen a manager score a goal in a long time again uh Oh, it's, it's it's incredible. I mean, I don't know anyone who does it. I mean, sometimes it sense. slips out. You know what I mean? You could manager might sometimes oh. say might say that. I mm. remember somebody now who has done it. Um, what was the name of Tiger Woods caddy again? Uh, Williams. Steve Williams. Steve Williams. Remember Steve Williams uh, after Tiger Woods had what he was still winning tournaments. No, it was after he actually had had the dispute. With, he'd fallen out with Tiger Woods. He was on Adam Scott's bag. Adam Scott won his first major, whatever it was. Steve Williams did an interview afterwards with David Ferdy and said, I'm a great front runner. Yeah. I've been in this position many times yeah. and I always see it home. <laughs> yeah, people are thinking, was it, is that, that <laughs> tiger or something? Yeah. We're yeah. just handing him the clubs. That's a bit of the Josie Mears. But you know, maybe it's, it, that's what it's all about now. You know, at this level, you've got to go out there, tell everyone you're the best, remind them that you're the best and then tell them again that you're the best. Mm. I mean, uh, maybe a lot of us were brought up to view that kind of behavior as obnoxious and somehow unhinged. But maybe that's why we're sitting here talking about Jose Mourinho. And he's in there. And he's there earning, you know, 20 million euros a year uh, to lose all these games as Chelsea manager. I mean, maybe uh, maybe that's got something to do with it, Owen. John Bruin was at the Etihad to watch Man City beaten by Juventus. John, have you got any idea why City can't get a grasp on this competition? I mean, none of the English teams can. It's not 1959. England, English teams aren't in a position where they have no idea what's in store from an Italian team. What's going on? Well, uh, yeah, that's that's very true. I, I, I just think that there is something uh, there is something about Manchester City and the Champions League that the club just does not seem to fit within that competition. It doesn't seem to get it. You may also say that Manuel Pellegrini, as a manager, perhaps um, tactically, is perhaps not suited to playing against teams that are experienced in going away to grounds in other European countries and picking off their opponents as, as Juventus did. He has got he has got to a semi-final and a quarter-final before that with small Spanish clubs. So, you know, he's... Well, that's, that's some time ago, yeah. And if you think about it, Manchester City are a club that you would expect to play on the front foot. And if you're the manager of Villarreal or Malaga, then you play a counter game. The Manchester City, he's expected to um, dominate the match. He's expected to win the game... Um, off that front foot and beat a team, even like Juventus, um, quite easily. I mean, going ahead up to the game that day, showing to a few of the people, most people thought Manchester City would win quite easily because Juventus had lost players. But what Juventus had not lost 
was the know-how in that competition um, and the tactical plan to pick off an opponent like City who perhaps left themselves a little too open. How can a team that has started the season so well in England, and I mean, they've been really good, they've, you know, they haven't even let in a goal and they've won all their games, um, suddenly do that uh, against Juventus? I mean, e- even the fact that they were winning the match and ended up losing it is ridiculous. I mean, th- th- whatever about the idea of, you know, Pellegrini um, lacking a bit of know-how and how to manage a big team in Europe or the players themselves maybe lacking a, a bit of experience. You're talking about quality players here who must feel a sense of shame at their failure to perform in this competition. I can't understand how that doesn't uh, kind of galvanise them to produce better performances. No, and I think you've probably looked through the team and looked through the players um, who were playing for City and they're the club's big names that didn't really perform. Um I mean, uh, Raheem Sterling is the player who joined Manchester City to play Champions League football. Now, he had two good chances. Now, two good saves from Gianluigi Buffon, but in both cases, he was given a chance to save them, and a goalkeeper of that quality is going to save those shots. Um, You've also got Yaya Torre, a player who shrinks when the Champions League arrives. Now, he's a former winner of the competition, but that was back in 2009. Him against Paul Pogba wasn't really a fair competition. Now, and Vince Company, Vincent Company, I think, played OK, um, and he did go off with an injury, at which point City lost the game, but they were already drawing by then. Um, too many of those players over the years, and actually I should mention David Silver. David Silver in the Premier League, week on week this season, has absolutely destroyed teams. Yet, perhaps Juventus had, had worked out a plan for him, but he, again, seemed to fade completely from view after the early first few minutes. It's it's interesting that you mention uh, Toure against Pogba not being a fair competition. Oftentimes when um, Toure is mentioned, when when something like that is said about Toure, it's usually him that's doing the bullying. Is Pogba Pogba really that good? Well, I think Pogba's... uh, um, The City fans were uh, making an an unfavourable comparison uh, of Pogba to Toure uh, when Pogba fired a shot wide. But um, what Pogba has, uh, which maybe Torre has lost, is an athleticism w- of which I think that very few p- players can match it. Um, his ability to, to motor around the pitch with those big, long legs, fine positions. Um, I think also a little bit like Torre in recent years, um, must, must have been Allegri, has pushed him in a position where he will not have to do much to too much defending because I don't think he perhaps is the best uh, defensive player. But um, at, uh, Pogba is 22, uh, Toure is in his early 30s. There's a 10-year age gap, and it really showed. Um, Toure didn't really rouse himself until late on in the game when he fired one of his typical, I suppose, howitzer shots, which again Buffon was equal to. But Pogba. Um, throughout the game was was making those runs and even the miss that Manchester City mocked, Manchester City fans mocked, it was one of those where he put himself in a position to take the, the opportunity on. He's a very, very dangerous player and the thing about Pogba when you look at him play, 
it's almost as if his talent has yet not reached its, its zenith. Um, there's a few raw edges around it. There are times when he goes to sleep during the game. It's almost as if the game is a little too easy for him, which is something which has been accused, uh, something levelled against Toure over the years. But um, of the two players, there really wasn't any contest on Tuesday night. John, I read a piece recently about Manchester United. I can't remember who, who wrote it, but the... Uh, basic tenet of it was that a, a, a rival Premier League manager was watching Manchester United games kind of scared. I know who wrote it. Do, who did write it? Matt Dickinson. Matt Dickinson. So there you go. <laughs> He's the guy. Now, uh, so Matt Dickinson wrote this piece and essentially the rival manager was... Uh, was did you bring this up, Ken? I apologise. Yeah, you we, were, we were so talking I'm, about I'm it last it off week, Matt Dickinson actually. and now we're it off you. <laughs> we were so, talking about it about this time last week. So Manchester United... Uh, <laughs> so much plagiarism in one question here. <laughs> so Manchester United... Um, he was looking, this manager was looking at them saying, well, what's wrong tactically here? What is it about them that they're not performing to the level they have been? Went through in his head, the positional play, all this kind of stuff, all the tactics, then realised actually what it is is they're just not enjoying themselves out there. There's just no fun and they don't want to really be doing what they're doing. The shackles are very much on them. When you see Man City in the Premier League, do they actually physically look different in terms of uh, their level of enjoyment or their level of engagement with what they're doing compared to when they're swatting aside all foes in the Premier League? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I th- although you have to you have to operate the principle of Manchester City that this only happens on alternate seasons. Um, but this season, they've looked relaxed and within them, happy within themselves as a team. And um, the young players, the, the players that have brought through, well, specifically Sterling, actually, I think have really has added plenty to the team in, in in the Premier League has given them that extra speed and um, also they've had Sergio Aguero playing. Now I suppose if we are to mention the fact they lost to Juventus we have to mention the fact that um, losing Aguero for the last until seven minutes from time because he had an injury that's a real blow for them. Um, Wilfred Bonney uh, a move in January for £28 million has not really paid off but Going back to the actual um, City playing together, they do seem a team that enjoys playing together, a team that um, Pellegrini is not a manager to put shackles on his team. Players like David Silva, Sammy Nasri when he plays, Raheem Sterling, they're players that are, are added to the team to attack. He's got defensive midfielders who will do that that work for them in the midfield. And then his uh, even his full-backs are are there to overlap and with Sanya these days rather than Zabaleta. But Kolarov, a player actually did play well against Juventus. Um, he, he, you know, there's a player who's blossomed this season. Um, so they do play with the, uh, with the shackles off, but in Europe, probably that's not perhaps so effective. Yeah, maybe they need to put the shackles firmly on. Listen, great stuff, John. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Well, that was a clunky setup to a question by me there, I must say. Listen, well, don't beat yourself beat yourself up over it. I mean, it was a full week ago that we referenced that. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now it's good that it 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 sort of remained lodged, semi submerged in your subconscious. You know that I'm listening to you during these reports. Some, sport. some know, things yeah. are are uh, claiming them as my own. Yeah, I mean, he's long forgotten that it was you that said it. Obviously, it's like but the canal. The you know, the, well, the, one of the locks up, up in the canal when it when you see the water kind of trickling through and all, yeah. all this uh, all those kind of um, Weeds and stuff backed up, yeah, and that kind of scum, yeah, on the surface of the water. I imagine yeah. it like that. You know, some of it is lodged and some of it is is going through. But you know, there's a, there's there's a certain residue which of the treatise that remains. 
Anything else from the Champions League you want to talk about before we... Oh, yeah. It was actually pretty good, Champions League, I think. Um, Did you watch BT Sports? Basically, if anyone familiar with the NFL uh, will be the NFL on Sky, would be familiar with their red zone option, which is basically all of the action from all of the games as as it happens. So I decided to sit down and watch a little bit of their red zone action, the goals, BT Sport goals, with James Richardson in a cast of thousands. Uh... It's a little strange, but it's it is actually pretty good. You just see the goals flying in at pretty much as they happen. So not, it's like not Ge- live. it's like Gillette Soccer Saturday with, with the with action the goals. <laughs> yeah, with the goals. Yeah, that it certainly makes a lot more sense if you had been beamed down from Mars to watch that than to watch Gillette Soccer Saturday. And yet I'm the, I'm sitting here thinking, well, Gillette Soccer Saturday, is just, yeah, it's you know, it's just there's just so much more clarity to what you're you know watching. You know, it's obviously you just get four people to watch a game that you can't watch. And let them tell you about something that you could be watching, but uh, yeah, no, it was kind of interesting. But I, I, I think that whole idea of Gary Lineker presenting Champions League and all the rest of that did give the first match day of the Champions League a little bit more excitement. Yeah, did you see Gary Lineker making having a mare on his halftime link? No. no, he just had one of those moments where he was sitting there with, with Rio Ferdinand and Stephen Gerrard. Um, Stephen Jarrett, incidentally, who back was back doing, I guess, must have been promoting his book or something like this. And uh, I wonder if he's going to be a, a weekly studio guest on BT. We'll see how often he pops up because he is supposed to play for a club, uh, you know, <laughs> six thousand miles away. But um, yeah, Lineker sort of had one of those. He, I suppose he doesn't have to handle any ad breaks with BBC. And at some point, he started talking to the camera, and then the camera started moving away as though to show a half-time link screen. And Lineker stopped talking. Then started talking again, hesitantly, and then it went to ads. And I thought, what he's done there? (laughs) He's gone and lost his auto cue. That auto cue has been taken away there, and he's kind of, he's there. So I wondered what kind of scene was taking place then during that ad break. And look, maybe Garlinka was like, look, fine. You know, it's a team. It's a team game. Sure, I'm the fall guy. I'm the guy who ends up looking stupid before the 20,000 people who are watching the station. (laughs) But... You know, you, uh, you know, we're there, all there, but all for the grace of God, Ged. There was, uh, yeah, good, good performance. The Barcelona Roma or Roma Barcelona game was interesting. It was an amazing goal in this game by Florenzi. There was a couple of good goals actually. There was Thomas Muller scored another one, also out from by the right touch line, although a bit closer towards the goal line. Uh, this is more of a Georgie Hadji by Thomas Muller, um, but the Florenzi one was a full-on David Beckham type uh, shot. Although while hit from right there by the touchline while under pressure from Barcelona players. A fabulous goal. And the second time this season that Ter Stegen, the Barcelona goalkeeper, has been lobbed from a long way out, um, uh, you know, having because he stands outside his box. You know, he's the kind of sweeper-keeper. This is the way they want to play. Um, and it's it's an invitation, really, for, for this kind of thing. If players are going to be able to carry that off, I, I'm, I, I can't wait to see it happen to Manuel Neuer. Manuel Neuer is the most ridiculous goalkeeper position I've ever seen. He stands literally in the yeah. same circle. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for it to happen to him. Well, Manuel Neuer might at least not give up on it, though. This is weird. It's a beautiful strike. Hit, oh, nerdy catches the underside of the crossbar as it goes in, so it's absolutely perfect from the wing. But there's a moment where Ter Stegen's running back, running back, then he stops and looks and thinks, oh, that's really well struck. There's I think a he maybe thinks it's going wide. Because it goes in off the post. It's maybe a lack of bravery, though, because what he had to do there, really, was steam in towards the post. the post and just do, to take his own head off, possibly, to try to keep the ball He couldn't out. accuse uh, Wojciech Szczesny of lacking bravery. Owen, he was the Roma goalkeeper. He uh, decided to take on Luis Suarez. Uh, basically, Suarez had a little dive. 
Chesney didn't like that. So uh, what did Chesney do? He smacked Suarez upside the head. <laughs> Suarez didn't like that. Uh, all I say on is that in the second half, the ball was there. And uh, I think just after that, Wojciech Chesney was departing the action, uh, clutching uh, what appeared to be a pretty badly mangled hand. Uh, so, you know, uh, bravery sometimes isn't always the best option. You come at the king, Ken. You best not miss. All right, just before we go, I do want to remind you about the Irish Times second captain's charity auction that we're running this week. Any money we raise is going to the Medicine Sans Frontier Refugee Appeal. Uh, we are giving away an Irish Rugby World Cup jersey signed by the whole World Cup squad. Two return Aer Lingus flights to London at the time you're choosing, with thanks to Aer Lingus, the official Aaron sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. Five VIP tickets to our next live recording of the podcast in the Sugar Club. That will be in October. Second Captain's Euro 88 jersey, one of our Second Captain's limited edition black hoodies, Second Captain's mug, all sorts of stuff in here to bid. Tweet us at Second Captain's with the hashtag Refugee Appeal and the amount you'd like to bid. So uh, anything from €1,000 up and you're in with a chance. It's an amazing cause here. You can also drop us an email, editor at secondcaptains.com. Uh, with refugee appeal in the subject line there. So we're talking signed Rugby World Cup jersey, two return flights to London with Aer Lingus, five VIP tickets to the next show, and second captain's Euro 8 jersey, loads of other stuff, mug, black hoodie there. Tweet us at second captains or email us editor at secondcaptains.com. Every last cent goes to the Maison Sans Frontier refugee appeal. We'll announce the winner of that charity auction. The most generous person, uh, the most generous of our listeners will be <laughs> revealed next week. So uh, do get involved in that if you can. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks very much for listening. Do check out our Irish Times, or I should say, our All Ireland Final preview. All Ireland Football Final preview is out this afternoon. Chat to you soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those, those boys.